Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Welcome to a no-nonsense, no-tinfoil hat podcast. I don't go tinfoil hat on you because I really don't kind of believe in all that super wacky stuff that you hear a lot on a lot of different survival shows. I'm all about common sense and keeping this show rooted in what most everyday Americans and even some of my international listeners are probably going through on a daily basis to stay prepared. You know, lots of things can cause a stink hit the fan event. You know, recently, if you've been paying attention, and for some of you international listeners that may or may not know, you know, in West Virginia, that chemical spill contaminated the water supply. So, wow, you know, isn't that a a really good reason for us to be storing water? Uh, People that had some decent water storage are probably getting through that crisis better than a lot of other people. And it's still a crisis, I'm sure. For people that live in West Virginia and and those that are in the area that's affected by that chemical spill, no doubt it's probably still a crisis. But here's the great thing about prepping. Here's the great thing about, you know, modern survival prepping. You're going to be able to get through the tough times a lot easier than people who didn't prep. You know, it'll be more of an inconvenience than it will be a disaster. And that's what I try to, you know, help people learn on this show is that let's make these types of things an inconvenience rather than a disaster. Think about it that way. So this episode is, a, I have a good interview coming up, but before I bring on the interview, I got a few comments and thoughts that I want to say about starting off the new year. You know, last week I had Joe and Dave on the show and we did a little bit of reflecting of 2013 and a little bit of looking ahead for 2014. I've been putting something off for a long time that I want to share with you that I'm going to get serious about this year, and that is learning new skills. There's a few new skills that I want to learn. One of them is I want to get better at repairing my vehicle. Uh, You know, it's not like I'm going to go to mechanic school or anything like that, but just some good basic repairs and then also some home repairs. I'm probably going to be reaching out to some of the people in my sphere of influence to teach me that kind of stuff. And, you know, this is, again, another reason why I talk about having a network, having a sphere of influence of people around you. Sometimes it's not what you know, but who you know. Would you agree? Think about it. Sometimes it's not what you know, but who you know. Who can help you? Who can teach you? So I know a few people that can help me learn some more about home repairs and vehicle repairs and things. Those are some new skills that I want to get. I want to get pretty good at those this year in 2014. And of course, the recent events in West Virginia has caused me to rethink how I'm storing water. Lately, I've only been storing water just in bottles. I know I need to get a more sophisticated rain catch system and things like that, uh, which is what I intend to do this year. You know, hopefully we're not going to have as bad a drought here in San Antonio, in South Texas, as we've had the last few years. But, you know, it might not change much. And so we have to prep for drought around here, too. And even though it's January... Uh, we haven't been getting the kind of rain that we're supposed to be getting. So, you know, prepping for drought seems to be a pretty normal thing here in South Texas. So I'm revisiting my water storage plans, and I would encourage you to do the same. 
Sorry, I had to grab a phone call there. And the last area of improvement, or the last thing I want to learn, is how how to to develop yet another income stream. I'm a big believer, folks, that, you know, prepping starts now. Prepping makes your life better now. Even if nothing happens later on down the road, even if you don't have... You may never go through a disaster, or you may never go through a major disaster. Let's put it that way. There's people losing their jobs all the time, and losing your job can be a big-time disaster. Hopefully it doesn't happen to you, but what you do now by prepping, I'm a firm believer, it helps you out. It makes your life better right now. So I've got two decent income streams. You know, everybody complains that they don't have enough money. Well, developing different income streams, you'll find that a lot of wealthy people, most most people that are pretty well off or wealthy or at least doing pretty well for themselves, most of them have more than one way to make money. So I'm a big believer in that. I hope you are too. You know, Dave Ramsey, uh, I, you know, I've heard him talk about that quite a bit. I took his 13-week Financial Peace University course. My wife and I did. It was a life changer for us several years ago. And uh, so living debt-free and having multiple ways to make money, we're pretty big on that. And I'm pretty big on that, and I want to encourage you to do that. I have two podcasts, and I've worked real hard for four years on both of my podcasts to get them to generate a little bit of an income. Not much, but hey, it's, it's a little bit extra coming in the door. And there's a few other ideas that I have. You know, a lot of you know I do some firearms training on the side, and that helps bring in a little bit of extra money as well. But having different ways to make money, especially monthly incomes. There are a lot of scams out there, so be careful. Be careful. One of the things, if you're thinking about taking on an extra activity that supposedly is supposed to help you generate another income, try to find other people who are doing it and interview them and talk to them. Uh, Don't just take somebody's word for it that it's a legitimate, decent way to make money and and a decent business source or a decent income source. I recently incorporated I recently incorporated my firearms training company which just helps it make make it more tax friendly and things like that. One of the ways you can generate an income is figuring out how to pay out less and that would be paying out less in taxes as well. Now, think about that. See, here's something that not enough people really pay attention to. One of the best ways to generate another income is to learn how to pay less. Reduce your outflow and you, by nature, increase your income. Your your actual income can stay the same by reducing your outflow, especially your tax burden. is kind of like a little built-in raise. Uh, Fortunately, I live in the great state of Texas where there's no state income tax. I feel bad for other people in other states or even in other countries that tax you ridiculously on the state level as well. And some of them even on the city and county. Some people are paying federal, state, and city or county income tax. All three at the same time. That's hideous. That's that's nonsense. That's a that's a socialistic society there and that's baloney. I mean, all the gosh, all those inc- all those taxes going out. Who? I mean, really. And here's the the problem we have is most people know this in the United States. You know, they they tax you 
very cleverly. They take a little bit out of every paycheck, so so you don't feel the pain. And boy, once they develop that system, once they develop the payroll deduction method of taxing, well, it, it doesn't hurt quite as bad, so people are more agreeable to it. Think about this. What if in the United States of America we went to a different system of paying taxes? What if we went to the system where you got you get to got to keep all of your paycheck, everyone. Every paycheck you get to keep every dollar of it. But on April 15th you have to write a check to the government or give them your debit card or whatever. And you have to pay a lump sum of money on every April 15th according to your tax burden for the year. Think about that. How many of you probably would agree with me that we would have a much different government if that was our system? Because, I mean, Americans, when they got to write that check and they have to send that check into the government, they're going to be thinking to themselves, Oh, crap, I cannot believe this. I can't believe I'm sending these pinheads this much money. And it will hurt more. They'll feel more pain, more financial pain having to pay those taxes. And they would vote for different people. I guarantee it. But because we do it ever so slowly, what a clever design by our politicians, huh? Let's just do it slowly so that they don't feel the pain. So they don't really know how much they're making every year. So if you have a side income or a side business, I would suggest incorporating it so that you can have a little bit of a shelter. Be careful. Get with your accountant. Talk to your tax accountant. Get his or her advice on doing that. But, uh, you know, multiple sources of income. And so that's something that I've already begun a start on. And uh, there's a few other ideas. And, and once I get my other ideas in place and they're actually working, I'll be happy to share them with you on this podcast. Okay, so the main topic of this week's show. If some of you listen to my other podcast on guns, if you listen to my Handgun World podcast, you've already heard this interview uh, because I'm playing it on both shows this week. The reason is, is my guest is Glenn Tate, the author of the best-selling book series, 299 Days. You're probably reading it. If not, you should be. And I'll talk about that in a little bit later. The topics he talks about in this upcoming interview I thought were very appropriate for both of my shows. So I'm going to apologize to you this week if you've already listened to the Handgun World podcast. You've already heard this interview. I know that some of you who listen to this show don't listen to my other show. And vice versa. I know some of the people who listen to my Handgun World podcast don't listen to this show. And even if you do, hey, this is a great interview. It's worth listening again. Glenn Tate has written a book series, 299 Days, and every book has its own little separate title. Terrific, terrific prepping and survival books. He's a very easy read. I really like his writing style. He tells a great story about himself. He also, I think it's amazing how I think he pretty much has almost nailed it as to what's probably going to happen in the United States of America. We don't know when, but it's pretty much going to happen unless some major, major changes take place. So we talked about AKs, hard work, and a little bit of training. 
Now, I don't talk much about firearms on this show. Every once in a while I do, but not much because I have a different podcast that covers that. But I think you can probably all agree with me that if you really value your security and you live in a relatively free state or country that allows you to use your God-given right to self-defense. And notice I said it's a God-given right. It's not a right. Your right to self-defense and your right to keep and bear arms is not granted to you by the Constitution of the United States of America. It's protected by the Constitution of America. It is your God-given right to self-defense. So I think that a firearm or two should be part of your survival preps, especially if you're going to use it to hunt with. Okay, A good shotgun is a great survival prep because shotguns are so versatile. There's so much you can do with a shotgun. It's amazing. Just get yourself a good pump shotgun. Just get yourself something popular like a 12 or a 20 gauge and go with that. Okay, Because there's all kinds of things you can do with a shotgun. About the only thing you cannot do with a shotgun is conceal it very easily. That's it. Well, and you know, it's tough to take 100-yard shots with a shotgun. I didn't say it's impossible, but it's tough. So, but it's got a lot of good uses to it, a lot of prepping uses. So, gang, you know, you need to have a firearm or two. And in the United States of America, I don't know of any place that doesn't allow you to own a shotgun unless you're like in the inner city of Chicago or something like that, or the inner city of Washington, D.C. But Glenn talks about AKs, about the AK-style rifle. I don't know if you know this, but Mikhail Kalishnikov, the man who developed the AK, recently passed away uh, about a month ago or so. Uh, I I think it's safe to say, whether you like AKs or not, I think it's safe to say that Kalishnikov developed... Probably the most prolific and most popular rifle in the world. There are more AKs in the world circulating than there are any other rifle type pattern. I'll bet that. I, I, I haven't substantiated that with facts. That's a good educated guess on my part. But, you know, basically what he designed and, and what different militaries around the world adopted in 1947 as their battle rifle basically changed the semi-automatic rifle culture in the world. So Glenn and I talk about AKs. Um, he, he specifically talks about AKs. He's a big fan of AKs. We also talk about the value of hard work. And this is a big reason why I thought this interview was a very appropriate for also this week's show. Uh, wait till you get to the section where we talk about hard work. And how hard work pays off. And how hard work is also a prepping skill. It's a prepping mindset, actually. And we talked a little bit about training as well. So, uh, just a quick sound effect or pause or intermission or something like that. And I'll bring Glenn Tate on this episode. Well, my special guest back again is Glenn Tate. Welcome back to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love coming on. Yeah, I like having you on. we got a really cool topic 
uh, several topics actually to talk about. Um, let's go ahead and get started off with, you were telling me when we were offline that you have an AK sponsor. Yeah, isn't that the craziest sentence you ever thought you'd hear or say, I have an AK sponsor? I mean, my goodness, it's like my ammunition sponsor, ammunitiondepot.com. I remember the first time I uttered those words, I have an ammunition sponsor. It's like, wow, um, this is an amazing life. This is unusual. I didn't expect any of this. This is pretty cool. But Century Arms is, is my, my AK sponsor. It's, it's odd for me to formulate those words just because it's such a neat thing, and I'm so happy about it. And uh, I'm going to be helping them out. I'm going to be uh, testing and evaluating um, their new C39, American-made, entirely American-made AK-47 with a milled receiver. I say testing and evaluation. It's already out and in production, so if, if I came up with any suggestions for them, um, it'd probably have to wait for some, you know, <laughs> modification. Other C forty nine? Did you say C thirty nine? C thirty nine. I'm gonna while we're talking, I'm gonna Google it here real quick so I can put a link in the show. Oh, there it is. Yeah, hundred percent American made AK. Cool. Yeah, and so and I'm not helping them develop it. I don't mean to exaggerate or anything because that would be totally crazy if I were doing that. But it's out now. It just came out. I saw on a, on a YouTube channel um, a thousand round torture test that was conducted of it. I need to be candid with your your listeners. I've not fired it. Um, I have, by the way, in the past before any of this happened, purchased three Century Arms AKs. Um, and I love them. Um, the AK-47, the previous one, the one I got a couple years ago, in particular, uh, is is magnificent. Um, the, C's, the the two uh, AK-74s that I have from Century are also good. I mean, they were $435 um, list price guns uh, a couple years ago. Um, I think the MSRP on the new C-39 is $750 or so, and I seem to recall... They can be had for around 699. So these are these are not very expensive AKs. I mean that's that's right in line with you know a lot of other AKs, but they're not um, you know Romanian Wassers or something like that. That you know with the fit and finish not being so fantastic sometimes on a Wasser. Um, you know, doggone it, American made. I mean rails, Pictini. I mean all kinds of stuff that I think modern AK shooters want and need um and it's uh, it's american made which makes me happy on two levels one i like things being manufactured in the united states and number two um things will be not dependent on a boatload of parts coming from a country or a part of the world that at any given time we could be um in conflict with and we wouldn't be getting any more imported um parts kits which is a problem so I mean, I'm excited about it, so it should be coming in a in a couple weeks, and I can't wait to go out and uh, give the thing some thorough thorough testing slash fun. Let's not forget the fun part of it either. Well, now is this a Glenn? Is this an AK uh, rifle or pistol? AK rifle. It's an AK because they've got the pistol also for six hundred and thirty two dollars at Bud's Gun Shop, but that's the pistol. Um, yeah, the, the totally American made AK is kind of a cool thing, you know. I, I got to add into here. Most people probably know this, but just in case you don't know it, um, Mikhail Kalishnikov just recently passed on. And how interesting it is, you know, the the man who designed probably the most pro- prolific rifle um, in the world 
Shortly after he passes on, we introduce an American-made version of his gun. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I mean, you know, obviously the design is going to continue for quite some time. Well, and Century Arms and other AK manufacturers are lucky that Mikhail Kalishnikov was born and raised and produces product in a country that is socialist that does not have trademark and patent laws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? You, you, you're the first one I've heard in a long time that said Mikhail Kalishnikov the right way. Well, I, I'm not going to give too much away, but... Um, I do speak a little Russian. I'm just going to put it that way. Well, that's why, because I, I butchered it. I, I just made an attempt there, and I guess it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but that's pretty cool. So you're being sponsored by Sentry Arms, and they're going to send you a C39. Now, are they going to send you in 7.62 caliber or the 545 that you like? Um, 7.62 by 39. As I understand it, that's the currently the only uh, caliber it's being made in. And I say currently... I'm not implying that it will be made in 545 by 39. I don't know that it will or will not. It's just that that's the one that's out now. And I am a big fan of 545 by 39. We had an entire episode about the uh, the the magic of the wonderful AK74, and which right. I think is the kind of the ultimate budget prepper um, rifle. And we'll go into all the details of why. But um, and but it's coming in 762. And you know. I don't dislike 762 by 39. It's an amazing caliber. It's in some in some ways it's easier to get a hold of ammunition than it is 545. It's a little bit more expensive. 762 is, but you know I I don't I don't discriminate. I love 762, 545, and 556. I'm a I'm a you know I believe in diversity, so I love all calibers. You're an equal opportunity gun enthusiast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Um, you, you were saying it's a good prepper rifle, and yeah, we did have a conversation about that that aired, I think, a little over a month ago. But also, I want to say something about AKs. You know, I think I think they very unfairly get a bad rap of being an inaccurate rifle, and I think that's not true at all. Most people, I've seen a lot of Suarez International instructors run an AK, and these guys are good with it. And I've seen people be very, very accurate with an AK. Now, am I saying as accurate as an AR-15? No, inherently. But I'll tell you what, in the hands of an operator that knows what he or she is doing, um, you, you can do a, a real good job with an AK. You can get the job done, and let's face it. Um, it's been getting the job done since 1947. Exactly, and the Century Arms AKs that I've already owned, and, and you know, before this all started with the sponsorship thing, have been very, very accurate. And you're right; there no AK that I've ever shot is is AR material as far as accuracy goes. But we're talking about small differences, and I'm not going to try to hit something at 600 yards with an AK. I probably would with an AR, but. I mean, at, at zero to 100 yards, which is really what we're talking about, really zero to 50 when you get down to urban situations, there's virtually no difference between the two. And, you know, the gun you have is better than no gun at all, and if it's an AK. Um, and I don't mean to say that AKs are somehow inferior. I'm starting to like them more and more. You know, the, the ergonomics are different and all of that, and I've just sort of always used an AR. But um, the AKs, there's... There's something about it. I love the ruggedness. Um, I, I just I I really really like it. And you can have different guns for different uses. My goodness, you can have 
sort of the nice AR that's, you know, and maybe in more pristine conditions you use it, and it's your favorite, and you your hands know where everything is and, and all of that, and that's great. You know, everyone can have a favorite. But there there could be a lot of situations where you pick up an AK, and or maybe you're out, I hope this doesn't happen, out in the woods for a month or something like that, and I'd probably rather have an AK in that situation than an AR. So yeah. we're, we're lucky um, to be able to... Uh, use both. Um, there, there are no limitations. I mean, I mean, you know, money's a factor. Obviously, I mean, it's two rifles, two sets of magazines, two sets of ammunition, all that other stuff. But if you can afford it and, and all of that, and if it's legal where you are, of course, um, why not have both? Why not use both very well? And why not use both for the uses that they're better than the other one for? I mean, yeah. Why not? Well, and you know what, Glenn? Let me get your opinion on this. You know, you mentioned this about two or three minutes ago. A distance of 50 yards. In in my humble opinion, again, I'm not an expert. I haven't studied crime statistics. You know, I'm not some kind of a private investigator in a former life or anything like that. But I think that for civilian use, and again, I'm going to emphasize the word civilian, I really doubt that any of us are probably going to use our rifle past 50 to 75 yards. I absolutely agree. That's where... My uh, red dot optics are cited for is 50 yards, and that's what I what I practice the most. I occasionally do longer range stuff just to be somewhat confident. Um, I'm in my mid 40s. My eyesight is not what it used to be, and straining through a scope is kind of hard for me to do. But picking up that red dot at zero to 50 or maybe 75 yards or whatever it is seems to work just about every time. So yeah, I, I keep in mind what I would be using a rifle for. I'm not gonna go hunt elk in Montana and do 700-yard shots, or I should say attempt to do 700-yard shots right. <laughs> with an AK, and probably not with an AR, certainly not for a game that big. I wouldn't use a 5.56 cartridge. So, yeah, you, you have to keep in mind, what are the limitations um, of of this thing, and, and what am I using it for? And when you keep those, when you keep the use and the limitations in, lined up and, and consistent, you should do just fine because you're going to have different tools in your toolbox. Sometimes you're going to use Phillips head and sometimes flat. I mean, it's just you know different tools for different uses. And I get a kick out of all these guys. You know, they're they're all worried about you know what size are their groups at 100 or 150 yards, and and they say, oh well, you know, with the AK, I can't shoot my my inch and three-quarter groups at 100 yards like I can with my AR. And I read all that stuff, and I listen to all that stuff, and I think to myself, who cares? Okay, fine. Good for you. You can shoot an inch and a half at 100 yards with your AR-15. You know, and I, and I want to say, dude, if, if, if the likelihood of you using your gun, your, your rifle is 50 to 75, Hey, the AK is going to be just fine. You know, if you can only get a two and a half inch group, hey, two and a half is pretty small. I mean, if you can only get a two and a half inch group with an AK at 50 yards, what what's wrong with that? Exactly. And it's better to know how to manipulate uh, the weapons, an AK in particular, if we're talking about sort of also using an AK, to know how to manipulate it, to know how to hit, to know how to move with it, to know how to take it apart and put it back together. We all assume that if something bad happens, we'll just be surrounded by ARs. Well, maybe not. And there are a ton of AKs out there and SKSs when it comes to the use of 7.62 by 39 ammunition. It's it's a it's a common caliber. And I tell you what, during the ammo scare of of last year, I call it the ammo scare of 2013. 
there was still more 7.62 available in my area than there was 223. I mean, 223 was nowhere, but 7.62 by 39 was, I, I remember even just like about a month or two after Sandy Hook, there was still 7.62 on the shelves. Yep, and that is a testament. That's one of the things that you can do during every periodic ammo scare, and we seem to have one every year or two, Yeah, is to go, and, and there's no better test of this. There's no Internet forum that, that will discuss this with the kind of accuracy that your own eyes will, will have when, it, when you see it, and that is go and see what's still on the shelves. And 7.62, you're right, was still on the shelves when it comes to pistols, 40 was still on the shelves. I paid attention to that during the 2008-2009 ammo scare and, and wrote about it, too. Um, and so pay attention to what's available. There's no better test um, for what goes first in an ammo scare than an actual ammo scare and then looking on the shelves and seeing what's there and what's not there. It tells you what the majority of the gun owners in your area own. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and the, the manufacturing capacities. Um I mean, I imagine that 223 or 556, you know, there, there's there's X amount of manufacturing capacity and there's, you know, 2X amount of demand or something like that. Um, and, may, and, you know, the Russians make a lot of ammunition. And, and of course, that's a get here on a ship and all that other stuff. So there's your limiting factor there. But um, manufacturing capacity is another component, not just demand. And when you add those two things together, you either have empty shelves or or some product on shelves, and you see that with your own eyes, and that's the proof is in the pudding right there. Exactly. Well, good. Congratulations on your AK sponsor, and I imagine once you get your C39, you're going you're gonna to tell us all about it and do a review and all that, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll do it, and uh, I'll take some photographs. I don't know if I'll do you know video of it, because I'm not really a video guy, but maybe I'll find someone who can do some video and... Um, That'll be cool, and I just I can't wait. Yeah, because I'm gonna I'm gonna put it through its paces. I'm gonna not treat it like um, some pristine thing that you know I just got out of a box. I mean, this is and people want to know. People want to know is this is this a good reliable AK with a with a decent price point or not? I think I know what it's going to be, given that I've got three other Century Arms and they're, and they're great guns, um, but. You know, I guess if this thing is a is a total terrible product, you'll just probably never hear from me again, right? <laughs> <I> <laughs> but it, mention it. Well, and I'll go ahead and I'll invite you in advance, Glenn, if you'd like to come on my show and talk about it, we can do a whole uh, interview review of the C thirty nine. Oh, terrific! Yeah, I'll take some good notes, and uh, I want to inform people about things. If I go and and test one of these things out, and probably the team will be helping me too, and, and they are magnificent, and they know many, many things, and, and they have a lot more technical knowledge than I do. I mean, I'm conversant and all of that, but these guys really, really know these things. But um, we could really be informative and describe to people with some detail. That is to say, it wouldn't be something like, yeah, it's a great gun. Oh, okay, well, that's that's not very helpful. Can you tell <laughs> yeah. me why? I mean, can you yeah. tell me you know, what's really good about it, what could be improved, and all that other stuff? So, yeah, I'd be very, very happy to. It's It's just a it's just a cool world where, you know, you, you can have sponsors like this. It's just fantastic. So, Glenn, are you saying that since you're the old man on the team, that you're you're more low-tech than those young guys? Yes. I, I jokingly say to those guys, hey, I heard uh, Ghostbusters is coming out on VHS. That's one of my favorite lines. <laughs> but, um, no, I am, I am lower-tech 
couple reasons. Um, I I focus on other stuff, and these guys are younger. Um, they have more disposable income, you know, fewer kids, and in some cases, no spouses, no wives. I guess they're all guys, and so they have the time. Um, I work absurd amounts of time, and they have more time and more disposable income. I know that's crazy. Well, I'm I'm the lawyer. Wouldn't I just have buckets of money? Actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, negative. Negative. <laughs> people uh, people make that mistake, don't they? Right, right. And you know, I mean, I have higher overhead than these guys do. I have you know kids that need to go to college and all the other stuff. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's, it's you know, not what it appears. So these guys have primarily more time and in some cases more disposable income. And they can keep up on all this stuff to the, to the extent that I can't. But it's cool because I can rely on them. And when the guys on the team say, this is, for example, Surefire X300 weapons light for pistols, you know, the consensus of the guys on the team was this is a great light, this is going to work good, and now all of us have them. All of our holsters fit them. We have replacement parts for them. We have Each of us has a replacement X300. Um, and so my guys can inform me about stuff, which is doing a great service to the team, and we can standardize things, and that's, and that's good stuff. I mean, I do other things. I'm, I'm the guy with the cabin, for example. I'm the guy who... Um, writes books and does podcasts and gets AK sponsorships and then the guys get a you know test fire and put an AK a new AK through its paces so we all add something to the to the balance and it's just that keeping up on the latest gear is some I would do it if I could but doggone day job gets in the way yeah those pesky day jobs I got one of those too and it gets in the way um <laughs> and you know what Glenn that kind of leads us let's shift gears here that kind of leads us into the next topic that I wanted to talk about, and and that is offline, you and I were talking a little bit about hard work, and the reason I bring this up is because you and I kind of started in in a similar mode, I guess, we were both everyday guys, and you know, I had this, what I thought at that time was a real harebrained idea to start a podcast, and actually I started two of them in a month, and you know, I, I, I'm still who I always have been, I, the everyday guy that just kind of fell in love with talking about something and putting it out on the air. And you kind of started the same way, just an average normal guy, as you write about in book one, uh, and, you know, that, that realized the need to start prepping. And now here we are a few years later, both of us are starting to achieve some success in our little hobbies. Exactly. I mean, you are doing a lot of shooting classes. Um very well reviewed, by the way. I hear good things about them. So, I mean, you're doing all these things. You're traveling around. You're meeting all these amazing people. That's one of the best, probably the best uh, outgrowth of all of this has been the amazing people that I've met and, and all that. And I'm sure you would you would say the same. So, we're getting to do this, and it, it isn't um, a level of, of work and, quite honestly, revenue that replaces a day job. It's not replacing mine, and I, I still really like my day job and I so do I a long time to achieve what I've achieved in my day job and I'm not gonna me too you know get rid of that um, but it, it allows us to go out and do these these amazing things and I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way and I don't think it will but we have lives that are unusual in a good way and we get to do a lot of cool things that you know not everybody gets to do I mean you've you've met amazing people you've shot with amazing people um you know my goodness i mean 
I won't even go, you know all the amazingly cool people I've met and all of that other stuff. And people like, like you that I listen to their podcast for years and then I'm on your podcast. Or, um, you know, a YouTube channel that I, I've watched and then my books get reviewed on that and, and somebody, the host of the, the channel who I respect says, wow, these are really great. I mean, stuff like that, all these things, and it does come from hard work because there's no other way to do this. Now, if you don't have a day job, uh, a regular day job, maybe this analysis would be different. But for normal guys like you and me, we have day jobs. So when do we do this stuff? Weekends and evenings. And it's it's something, I mean, I get up at, when do I get up? Between 4 and 4.30 every morning. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I read emails. Um, I go on Facebook and connect with people, and I do that sort of thing. There, there are a ton of of business things. I mean, the, a sponsorship, for goodness sakes. I mean, there's an FFL thing. There's corresponding with Century Arms and all this other stuff. So there's all this business stuff. I'm not complaining at all, but I'm saying there's a business component. You know, work out, you know, go to work, get home, and it's about 7.30 at night. And then I pretty much, you know, eat dinner and fall asleep. Um, (laughs) And so then I, you know, I I do this. And then on the weekends, spend a lot of time. I spend time away from my family. Um, Family is another part of this mix, too. It's not just day jobs and then the gun job um there's there's plenty of other stuff going on but it's it's fantastic because of the unique things that get to happen and i i hope i'm not getting too philosophical here but no that's okay a little a little philosophy is okay once in a while (laughs) but this is the time of my life i mean this I've, i've worked hard and and all these people that i've met and all these characters that i've run into and all these thoughts i've had have sort of kind of come flowing out, you know, in the books and on podcasts and elsewhere now. And now's the time I'm doing all these amazing things that I've always wanted to do. And I couldn't slow down if I wanted to. I mean, it would seem like a waste for me to say, instead of, for example, you know, going and doing a class with you out in Seattle in August, um, that weekend I'm just going to watch preseason football. I mean, it <laughs> seemed like a waste. Um and it's not that I don't like football and all that other stuff. It's just it doesn't seem like in this stage in my life with this unique set of circumstances the best use of time. And so I'm just thrilled to be able to to do this stuff. And I just I'm so humble. I still even in describing this to you, Bob, I just can't even believe that these things are happening. So and it's and it's all hard work. But you know what? It's a labor of love. Um, I don't work terribly hard at stuff I don't like. And here's an example, math. I hate math. Uh, I don't do math. Um, so you know, I'm not going to work hard at that. It's not like I'm Horatio Alger. I'm just this naturally hardworking guy. You have to get me fired up to get me to work this hard. And this topic, you know, not just guns, but hopefully persuading people to prepare for what I believe is coming, is something that I'm enormously enthused about and hopped up on and want to help people about. And so, yeah, I get up early in the morning and and work really hard all day long and on the weekends and do all this stuff because it's important. And I haven't been able to say that at other times in my life. When I was just doing normal law stuff, um, I can't really say that it was important. And so I didn't say it was important. And quite honestly, I didn't get up nearly as early. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, you know, it is a labor of love. And, you know, I mean, gosh, the first couple years, you know, I, well, actually, you know, the first 18 months I started doing podcasts, I didn't make a dollar. And then finally, after about a year and a half 
of some some fairly hard work again in my spare time because I love my day job. You know, I was able to start paying some of the bills and I'm perfectly honest. I yes, I make money doing what I'm doing. I don't make retirement money. I don't make full-time money. Um I make money to support my habit. <laughs> yep. You know, um and that's pretty much it, but where I'm going with this is that I want people listening to this to understand that if you find something that you love and you're willing to give it the time, anybody can do this. You know, you have to enjoy it. I wouldn't be doing this show and you wouldn't be writing your books and, and doing all your podcast appearances if you didn't like it and didn't enjoy it. And I want to encourage people, don't ever don't ever give up on what it is that you want to do because the opportunities are out there. And I don't care what's happening in this country. I don't care how bad it gets. I still believe that people that learn how to adapt, people who learn how to learn a new skill, people who learn to reinvent themselves, I still think there's going to be opportunity for them. Yeah, and we live in a time where the technology that we have allows us to do these things. You and I are speaking over the Internet. Podcasting didn't exist a few years ago. And so now if you have a passion in a very you know, maybe narrow niche, you can talk to a few hundred, a few thousand, tens of thousands of similar people who share your passion via the Internet and podcasts and YouTube and all these other things and Facebook. So we have the technology now to let people like us that are passionate about something get out and talk to and interact with other people who share this interest and this passion. And that hasn't been true. Uh, 20 years ago, you and me could have never done this. No, you're right. You're right. We could have never done it, and we wouldn't have had listeners or readers. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was a lot harder 20 or 30 years ago to publish books. Oh, absolutely. There was no Amazon, and there was no self-publication. Now, I published a book through a traditional publisher, but still, um, yeah, that you just did. I mean, there were a few giant blockbusters uh, as far as, you know, titles and all of that, and that's what everybody read. Um, there was... There was no podcasting. There, there were radio stations, but they didn't exactly have you know shows on something that does not appeal to a general audience. Guns do not appeal to a general audience, so a radio station could never put it on. Maybe you would have had the Bob Main Gun Newsletter, and you would have photocopied it, you know, and mailed it out to a couple thousand people, and that I guess could happen. But who's going to pay you, you know, twenty dollars a year for? a typewritten <laughs> gun newsletter. So, I mean, it, it just wasn't the same. And now we can do this. And that, of course, applies to everybody out there that has a passion. I mean, podcasting, it's its not – I'm not going to say it's easy and it's not necessarily cheap. I mean, there are more expenses involved in podcasting than people understand. Um, I'm sure you, you know that, I mean, but others out there. And so, yeah, it takes a little bit of money, but, it, you know, a few hundred dollars probably a year you could get away with it. And – it doesn't take a ton of technical expertise, and you can get out there and do it. And some of some of the podcasts I like the best are are guys who don't have a ton of listeners, and they're just doing it because. And you can tell by their voice and the topics and the research they put into it that they really, really want to get on the air and talk about this stuff, and that's <laughs> fantastic. You know, that was me. That was me in about September of two thousand and nine. I started this show in, I think it was late August, and I'll never forget the first time I checked my stats. I had, I think it was 31 listeners. Uh, that was it, 31 people. And 
<laughs> and, and I, at that time, I thought, well, this is this really. There's 31 people that want to hear what I have to say. But you're right. Some of the some of those that don't have a lot of listeners, they are some of the best, and they're also some of the least commercial, and they have a lot of good content in them. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. So you know. I want people to understand, you know, you, you can do what, what Glenn and I have done. Just, you have to have, you have to have the desire. You have to really be willing to learn. You gotta be tenacious and you can't quit. I had to teach myself how to record, edit, and publish a podcast. Nobody showed me how to do it. Uh, Google was, Google and Bing were excellent friends. Well, hang on a second. I don't think Bing existed then. Maybe it did. But Google was one of my best friends. Um, and I just, I, I, I'm self-taught. You know, and here's another thing in, in our community, and that's, I'm going to say the gun and prepper community. I think that's a fair characterization of most of, of your listeners. We're self-reliant folks. We're going to figure stuff out on our own. We're not going to have our hands held. We're not going to say, oh, I can't do that because nobody's going to put on a formal class and teach me how to do it. Well, if you're that kind of person, and most of you listening are, then this would seem to be right up your alley. Uh, you would just say, well, doggone it, I'm going to do it, um, and I'm going to learn how to do it. I'm going to learn something new. I mean, when it comes to prepping and things, I didn't know anything about water treatment or food storage or any of these things. And I said, well, um, I'm not going to go to college and get a Ph.D. on this. I mean, that's crazy. I'm going to learn it, and Google is my friend, and forums and all that other stuff. So part of the self-reliant mindset would, I think, indicate that you would say, I'm going to do this and doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and take inspiration. I want people to, to understand this. Take inspiration from other people doing the same thing that you're doing. You know, learn from them. I'm happy to help anybody that wants to launch a podcast. Tell them how to do it. You know, a couple of podcasts that exist today that are doing pretty well. They, I, I remember the emails I got from them. You know, asking me, hey, what do I do? How do I do this? How do you do this, Bob? How did you, you know, how did you produce it and put it up there and things like that? So take inspiration from people that are doing what you want to do. Uh, learn from them. Offer to help them. That's another thing. You know, offer to help them. You know, and you've answered those emails, and I, I get emails and Facebook personal messages from people saying, thinking about writing a book, you know, what's some advice you have? And I answer every one of them. I answer everything I get because I can't believe anybody really wants to hear my opinion. So I'm thrilled to, to be asked, right? And so I'm going to, you know, <laughs> yeah. answer this stuff. But um, it's an honor and to, to answer those questions. And guys like us that are passionate about this, that just started doing this and are humble and can't believe, you know, that people are listening to us or reading us and things like that. We love to answer these questions. So the kind of people, if you're thinking about doing something out there, the kind of people you would ask about how to do it are the kind of people who love to answer those questions and love to help people. So it's perfect. And I want to say this. If you're if you're trying to put out a podcast and you're struggling, or if you're a brand-new firearms trainer, for example, and you're struggling, I've been there. I've been there, so I'm more than willing to help you out. I, I, I do have limited time resources, but whatever time I can muster up, I'm, I'm more than happy to help because I've been there. And I didn't, you know, I'll be honest with you, I didn't get a whole lot of help starting the podcast. I got a lot of help becoming a firearms trainer. You know, I want to thank John Payne and the folks over at Suarez International for signing me on. And I want to thank Ben Branham for teaming up with me and deciding to, you know, give me a shot. Because if it hadn't been for those two organizations, I wouldn't be in it. But I'd be very willing to help. And, 
you know, I want to take this opportunity real quick. I want to thank the Gun Rights Radio Network. You know, if Mark hadn't have signed me on to the network, if he hadn't brought me on, I think it was like episode 56 or 57, if he hadn't done that, I don't think I'd be where I was today. My, my listenership, like, tripled within a month after I got on the Gun Rights Radio Network. And that's how I found out about you, by the way. Really? Okay, well, see, so Mark, if you're listening, there you go. There's a, there's a testimony for your network. <laughs> and, and I think, I think, I don't know if he listens to every one of my shows, but he could be listening to this one. So, good. Well, we covered that topic. Uh, I think we have a class to talk about. Heck yeah. Um, well, you and I are going to be teaming up. Why don't you tell everybody about it? <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Well, first of all, uh, the date is August 9th. It's a Saturday. The class is actually going to be up in Squim, which for people in the Seattle area, what is it, about two and a half hours? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. It depends on where in the Seattle area you're coming from. It's across the Puget Sound, so you're gonna if you're coming from Seattle, you'll be going west and you'll be taking a ferry. If you're coming from out of town and you're at the airport, I highly suggest that you take a ferry because it's a cool experience. Yeah, I've done it. So Ben Branham and I are going to be teaching uh, Beyond Concealed Carry. We're going to be teaching a little bit different version of it because you're going to be there and you're going to bring some different material to the class. I think you're going to you're going to give a little bit of a lecture about carrying a gun in Washington, aren't you? Yeah, the legal the legal aspects of it. And when I do firearms training with the team, um, I do a legal portion and I just read some statutes. I've kept up on it. I've followed some things. But um, in May, I'm going to be going to a MAG-40 class and I'm going to have Masad Ayub teaching me legal things. So after May, my legal knowledge on firearms, self-defense law will be way better than it currently is. And I can, you know, pass some of that stuff on. So I'll be doing a little, a little legal portion, which I love to do. Uh, it's kind of neat how it's a combination of law and guns and it, it intersects right there and self-defense law. Well, Glenn, let me tell you this. Sorry to interrupt. Let me tell you this. You have no idea, buddy. You have no idea what you're going to learn at MAG40. I've been to that class twice. The first time as a student and the second time uh, I helped out doing a little bit of the shooting. Well, I didn't do the instruction, but I, I helped out a little bit as a safety officer on the line. You have no idea, you know, and especially when you combine what Masada Ayub teaches you with what you already know about the law, you're going to be, you're going to be, uh, have an amazing script that you can teach people. Yeah, and I, I can't wait, and I should probably give a little bit of detail about it. It's going to be, uh, May, uh, 16th through 19th. It's going to be in Arkansas, um, at Nighthawk Customs. That means John Hottaway's involved, and we Uh-oh. had a conversation about that. And well, it's going to be a bad class then if he's there. Yeah, he's a mean man. He, he makes he's, people cry. Yeah, he makes people cry. He's a mean man, and, you know, the, the bathrooms suck at that place, so. Really? You know. I did not know that. <laughs> oh, I know if John's listening, he's going to get a chuckle out of that. Um, just, you know, get used to the porta potties. Okay. Unless he's unless unless he's changed that, I don't know. But yeah, you'll face the Hotaway curse. I'm telling you. Wow, that sounds like uh, like eating at a bad restaurant or something like that. Oh, he 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 might even take you to a bad restaurant or two also. Okay. Well, I'm you know I can I can eat anything. I mean I'm a I'm a prepper. I mean if it's beans and rice or whatever it is, I mean. I can handle it. So that's going to be Mag 40 in May, and then we're doing our thing, you and me and Ben. Um, and you guys are coming to Seattle. I can't wait to show you 
um, my beautiful state. Now, I complain about my state on a political level, and I complain about the weather when it rains from about October till about April. But I'm telling you something. Western Washington, the Seattle area, in August is magnificent. It, the weather, it's like probably 70 to 75 degrees. There are no bugs. There's no snakes. There's no humidity. Um, it's it's amazing, and we're going to be uh, this facility we're going to is stunning, and it's it's right on the Puget Sound, which is to say, basically the ocean. It's amazing. It's got two ranges. It's got a beautiful classroom. It's got a bunkhouse that sleeps. I don't know, ten to twenty people. It's got you know a nice set of bathrooms, unlike the Hotaway experience I'm apparently going to have. <laughs> and, <laughs> Um, it's a magnificent place. It's run by an amazing guy, and um, I'm just going to, I don't know, throw a little news out there and, and give people a little clue about some of the stuff in the book. The guy who runs the facility is the real Joe Tantori. He is Joe Tantori from the books, and um, so I know him very well. He's a very good friend, and and it's just a phenomenal experience. The, the team and I spend as many weekends as possible at this range and this facility doing all kinds of cool stuff. And it's going to be, it's going to be an experience. So I, I cannot wait. I can't wait either. And we've already got two or three people that have, well, actually at the time that we're talking right now, we've got six people signed up for this class already. You and I are interviewing on January 10th and the class is not till August. We've already got six people signed up. There is going to be a limit, uh, Two or three of those people are going to be staying in the bunkhouse with us. So I want people to understand, we do have room at the bunkhouse if you want to come up there and spend Friday night and spend Saturday night, which I'd recommend because you're going to be real tired. And if you don't want to drive after that, then uh, let me know when you sign up. We have limited space in the bunkhouse. But the class, I guess i got to say, the class is probably close to being a third full already. Yeah, no, it's it's going to sell out, and and I have commitments from several members of the real live team to come up and be at the bunkhouse and and be up there. Now I don't know which ones, and it's it's I mean can actually end up making it, so I don't want to say they'll all be there. And it is quite a ways in advance, and they've a couple of them said that they can be there, but there's possibility, you know. They're young guys, you know. I don't know what they do for fun, but no, I'm you know they'll probably come and do this, but. Um, so some of them will probably be there, which is amazing because they're amazing human beings. Yeah. And by the way, Glenn, um, I spent a lot of time in the Seattle area. Um, my late uncle lived there for 27 years, and we we went to visit him quite a bit. He lived in um, uh, he lived in Kirkland for a while, and then he lived in uh, Lake Forest Park. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was there for a long time. So I've been up there. I've been up there in the summer. Uh, I've been up there in July and August, and it is magnificent. So we're going to be teaching our, our enhanced version of our Beyond Concealed Carry class. It's a one day, and I want to let you know we're probably going to go till pretty close to 6 p.m. I mean, with your lecture, I think we're going to have a, a working lunch, and it's going to be a, a great time. And I understand most likely one of the team members is going to train with us, right? That's right. That's right, and so and I, yep, it's going to be cool, and uh, we'll we'll announce like who exactly uh, will be coming from the team closer to the the event when they can be more certain that that they can come and do that. But yeah, there there will be at least one team member, and um, he's one of the more interesting ones. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're if you really want to go to this class, 
I'm not trying to put a salesman pitch on you. I'm telling the exact truth here. You know, with six people already signed up and it's early January, uh, this thing's going to sell out. So jump on it. You can go to handgunworld.com. You'll see I got a registration link. I have a page there that says Beyond Concealed Carry with Glenn Tate. And that just click that and you can follow the instructions. Glenn, um, just curious, what, what gun are you going to bring to that? Well, I'm, you know, when I go to classes, I actually train and learn because I mean, it's a great opportunity. So I'm going to bring my regular um, sidearm. It's, I mean, I guess my concealed carry um, pistol, too, which will be my Glock 17. Um, and since it is concealed carry, I'll be wearing my concealed holster, my Raven concealment holster. I'll probably also bring the other, the other pistol I often carry uh, concealed, which would be my Glock 27. By that time in August, I might have a Glock 26 barrel and some magazines because I'm probably going to go to a Glock 26. So between the 17 and the 27 slash 26, that'll be what I bring. And on occasion, I carry an LCP, and I should listen to you and Ben and actually shoot the pocket pistols that I carry instead of just <laughs> letting them literally gather lint in, in my pocket holster, right? So How much have you shot that LCP? You know what? I shot it. You're not going to believe this. I shot it on New Year's Day 10 days ago at the Joe Tantori range. Um, but I hadn't shot it before then for about a year, and I scolded myself because that was wrong. And let me tell you something. There was lint in the action, <laughs> in the magazines, and it was it was not good. And I, I thought to myself, I need to be a better example because, I mean, I wouldn't suggest anybody goes that long without shooting it. And in all candor, I really didn't enjoy it. I mean, it's an LCP. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not trying to knock Ruger. I'm not trying to be a Ruger hater here, so please don't. I hope nobody accuses me of that. But I've shot one of those quite a bit, and I think they're very unpleasant. I don't like them just because they don't shoot very well, and most people don't want to train with that gun because it's unpleasant to shoot. Um I love my car P380. That thing is just phenomenal. It's soft recoiling, more accurate than I'll ever be with it, um, and just, you know, weighs almost nothing. And I suggest that, and by the way, car just came out with a CW380, a little bit less expensive, expensive version of it. I'm a big believer in car arms pistols when it comes to these little single stack 380s or 9mm. You know, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think what I might do is is retire the LCP. Um, I got one in 2010, you know, when a lot of people got LCPs. They're fine guns. It's the gun I end up having with me all the time. It fits in a particular place in the truck that's lockable, by the way. And so I, I have it with me, and, and I need something that small and that thin. I can pop it in a pocket. Um you know, when I don't have time to put a holster on, the classic phrase about pocket pistols is it's the gun you carry when you can't carry a gun. Right. And that is really true. And so I would want something nice and small like that. Um, you know, the Glock 2726 um, is a little bit thicker and, and has a different role. But um, I'm kind of looking to replace that that LCP was something. Uh, you know, the LCP was, I think, $250 when I got it. I mean, they're, they're pretty reasonably priced. And... Um, I should I should look into some of those things. Uh, single stack. Um, I'd like to go with nine uh, upgrade over three eighty. I would just have to see some of the sizes. But it's a different universe, is my point. From two thousand ten, when it comes to small nines and three eighties, um, 
for for small concealed carry. It is a, a whole new planet as far as the amount of products that are out there. And I mean, Shot Show is coming up in a couple of days. There'll probably be ten or fifteen really good pistols uh, in the parameters I just mentioned that'll probably be introduced this year at Shot Show. So there's a ton more to choose from. So I had to take that into consideration and step it up. The trigger pull on the LCP. I haven't measured it, but it's probably about a thousand pounds. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. You know, and and again, I'm 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 going to go on my uh, I'm going to go on my car promotion uh, stint here, not because they're paying me or anything. I don't receive a dollar for it, but you can get the car 380. You can get that little CW 380. I see one right now for 325 bucks on Gunbroker. So they're not that expensive. They're not much more than an LCP. In fact, they're actually probably a little bit less money. Then the Smith and Wesson Bodyguard, which also has a horrendous trigger pull. I have one. Um, it's a good gun. Nothing wrong with it. But yeah, with these little pocket 380s, there's. I just think that there's better options out there than the LCP. Well, I have a I have a joking phrase um, on the team, and it, it goes something like this. I say, "Well, I don't want to one up anybody, but I do have an LCP." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Well, and you know, I got to tell people the very first little pocket three eighty I had was a Keltec P three eighty, and nothing wrong with it. That little Keltec I had, that thing just ran and ran and ran. But again, it's a it's a super light gun with a horrendous trigger pull and no sights, and you know uh, it is what it is. I think I, I think I picked it up for like two hundred and thirty nine dollars or something like that. Yep, and and all this being said, and I've kind of you know cast aspersions on the LCP. I'll say this: it's it's better than a gun you don't have, and if you have an LCP or you're you know you're thinking about getting one and it's it's the one you can afford. Please, by all means, do indeed get it. Absolutely. Um, the things we're talking about, things like trigger pull, it's not going to be a big deal when you have to defend your life. You will get the trigger all the way back. If it's 11 pounds versus 8-pound trigger pull or 6 or something, you're going to get the job done. The distances we're talking about, it's not going to be a problem. And so, please, you know, we're not gun snobs. I know you've said that before, and I know it's true from talking to you off the air. We're not gun snobs. We're talking about something a little bit better than an LCP, um, and that's that's where it is. But you know that LCP, uh, I'm never going to sell it. I mean, it's a great gun on a variety of levels. It has a bunch of good uses, and and uh, maybe I can just. I'm, you've got me intrigued about car because I know that car arms have a very good reputation for being very well made and very reliable. I always assumed. They were pretty expensive, and you're well, me these prices. I'm thinking, well, that's kind of that's kind of cool. Well, they have been expensive. The P series of the car models, like the PM9 and the P380, they're a little up there. They're over five hundred dollars. But the C series, like the CW380s, like I said, here's another one on Gunbroker for three hundred and ten bucks, brand new, and they have good sights on them. They got good barrels. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. Hey, if an LCP is all you can afford and you have and you can get one and you need one, get it. If a Keltec is all you can get, get it. I mean, it's it's better than not having a gun at all. I think I've said that 150 times on my show over the past 4 years. You know, the 380 in your pocket that you have on you is 100 times better than the bigger gun that you left in the safe. Absolutely. And and these LCPs and probably similar size guns it's it's almost spooky how they can fit into pockets with a correct pocket holster, I would like to add, and, and into little places, little crevices in cars and all that other stuff. 
um, they are there's there's virtually no excuse for not having a gun when it comes to one of these small 380s. I mean, they they will fit anywhere in the in a shirt pocket in a dress shirt. Um, I can pretty much put the LCP in there. I mean, it's a little bit visible, but when you start getting into spaces that you know credit cards fit well in, you know that you're talking about small spaces. So yeah, yeah, they're very very versatile. And since you mentioned pocket holsters, one that I want to point out is the DeSantis Superfly. I used to use the DeSantis Nemesis, but the Superfly does a better job of covering the trigger guard. The outside of it is much more sticky than the Nemesis, and I totally love it. And it comes with a it comes with a panel on the outside of the holster that affixes with Velcro. So the panel, if you don't want to use it, like some people like to put that in their back, back pocket so it looks like a wallet, I just took it off because I carry it in my right front pocket. And it's just, I love the Superfly. It's a nice little holster. I think it's only like $25. Um, you can get it off of my Amazon store and stuff like that. I, I like it. It's durable. I, in fact, I probably need to get another one just to have it so that when mine wears out, I got another one. And I have one of those two. I don't know which it is. It doesn't have the sticky stuff. Um, it might be the Nemesis, the DeSantis. And it's, yeah. it's a great, great thing. And I will not carry that pistol without a, a, revol- uh, a holster for the pockets because if you have your car keys in there and you jam that thing in there, um, you, you've got car keys, you know, on the trigger and that's, that's a bad thing and don't do that. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, I want to say something to ladies listening to this podcast. Ladies love to buy these little 380s and throw them in their purse. Okay, if you're going to do that, ladies, use a pocket holster and put it in your purse inside of a pocket holster. Trust me, when you draw that gun, it's not going to be too hard to leave that pocket holster in your purse. As a matter of fact, if you if you stick that gun like in a side pocket of your purse and it's in the pocket holster, it's probably going to naturally stay put when you pull the gun anyway. So use a pocket holster, please. We don't want accidents happening, um, you know, with like keys or other objects pressing the trigger. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, hey, I want to finish with this. I'm going to tell you a story, Glenn. I didn't tell you I was going to tell you this story. Um, And listeners are going to, I think, (laughs) well, well, let's see what listeners think of this. I got to tell you a story about something that happened to me Tuesday night. I was in a hotel room in Houston, Texas. I was on a business trip. And while I was talking on the phone, it was about 8 o'clock at night in my hotel room, I heard an incredibly loud noise coming from the room across the hall, directly across the hall. There was this loud boom, and it sounded like an explosion. And I thought for a minute there, I thought that maybe... Something in the hotel, you know, ignited or blew up or something like that. So I ended my phone conversation and my Glock 19 was sitting on the table. And then my thought started racing through my head. Maybe it's a guy in the hotel with a gun. Maybe it's a nutbag and he's trying to shoot the place up. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I cannot believe that I might actually be in this kind of a situation. And I'm not embellishing this story at all. This is exactly the way it happened. The, the, my Glock 19 was sitting in its holster on, on the table. I threw that thing, appendix carry, threw it right back in my waistband, threw my shirt over it, and I waited for a while. I waited about, oh, a good three to four minutes because I wanted to find out if the shooting was going to continue 
because I thought there had to have been a gunshot. It couldn't have been an explosion because there were no fire alarms going off or anything. I picked up the phone. I called down to the front desk, and I asked them if they had heard the noise and if anybody had called 911 yet. And they said, yeah, we heard the noise. We had called 911. Perhaps that should have been my first instinct, but unfortunately it wasn't. So picture me. So I walked to the door of my hotel, and I looked through the peephole, and there are two police officers standing in front of the room across the hall from me where I heard the loud noise. So I pried the door. I, I pulled the door open about four to five inches, and I asked one of the officers, I said, you know, officer, is there a problem going on here? Is everything, you know, okay? And one of the cops said, yeah, everything is okay. He said, not to worry. He said, the guy who was staying in this room accidentally shot himself in the hand with his pistol. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. And, of course, now I had my Glock 19. I was packing it underneath my shirt, uh, untucked shirt, in my waistband. So then I opened the door a little bit further, and I said, Really? And here's where it gets interesting. One of the police officers turns around and he says, yeah, he said, now, now don't worry about it, sir. The guy had his license and everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, yeah, I'm feeling really good about this now. The guy had his license. Um, obviously, the guy was a complete knucklehead because you shouldn't be shooting yourself in the hand with your own handgun. So, um, and then I looked down at the floor and I saw this little pool of blood about the size of a paper plate in front of the door. And the police officer said, well, the guy has already been um, taken to the hospital and all that. And, uh, and he said, you know, we've recovered the projectile and everything is okay. I said, well, what on earth happened? He says, well, we don't know. He said, but what we do know is that the, the, the projectile went up into the ceiling bounced off of a light fixture and ricocheted back down to the floor and we recovered the projectile. And I thought to myself, all I'm picturing is I'm picturing this doofus, you know, messing around with a loaded gun, which he shouldn't have been. You know, he's violating at least three rules of the four rules of gun safety. Thank God he didn't have his muzzle pointed in an unsafe direction, probably up at the ceiling if it went through or bounced off of a light fixture. And, you know, it was a negligent discharge. And, and so when I went back to my room, I thought, wow, I was that close. I was in the room right across the hall. I was that close to some idiot possibly touching off around and maybe coming into my hotel room. Wow. And way, I, I mean, I'm no ballistics expert, but a bullet hitting a light fixture and bouncing, I mean, what was it, a twenty-two or something? I mean, that, that should have just blown the thing up, right? Yeah, which I find a little hard to believe. That's what the cop told me, because they found the damaged light fixture, and then they found the projectile on the floor. I don't know. I mean, who knows if it was a pretty sturdy steel light fixture and the bullet hit it the right way. Um, I don't know. I, I Again, I'm not much into ballistics either, but... The whole, the whole experience, you know, I thought, I thought I was in the middle of an active shooter situation, to be honest with you. Especially when I saw the cops out my door, I thought, and, and I probably shouldn't have even opened the damn door. I probably just should have stayed in my room with pistol in hand until, 
you know, until I really knew that there was nothing going on. But I figured that the two cops standing in front of the door probably had things under control. Yeah, yeah, no, that's amazing. And the other thing is you didn't hear a shot and go rushing in there with pistol drawn. And let's say the police are coming around the corner and all they see is Bob Maine. Well, they don't know who is Bob Maine, but they see you trying to get into somebody's room with a pistol drawn. I mean, that's a problem, too. Now, you want to react and help people. If it's an active shooter, you want to take them down quickly. So there's a bit of a balancing act going on here. I'm not saying it's easy, but you always, and it sounds like you did this, you always have to be aware when you have a gun out that you can't maybe see the police and they have no idea that you're the good guy. I know you've been through that before, but... Um. Oh, exactly, which is why I'm glad I didn't take that sort of action, you know, which is why I, I called, because I was ready to, I had my cell phone out, I was ready to call 911, um, but then when I found out somebody at the front desk had already called 911, then it was pretty obvious because the cops were already there by the time I looked out the peephole of the door. But, yeah. you know, here's what I want to say, this is why I'm telling the story. I don't care how well trained you are. When you're actually in a situation to where you're close to gunfire, like I was last Tuesday night, you can't be sure how you're going to act. You you really, really, really need to go over this and over it and over it and over it until it becomes second nature. Because when I was debriefing myself, I realized I made some mistakes. Yep. That's a great thing that you can go through this and debrief and realize what the mistakes were. Exactly. Mistakes that I know I won't repeat again. Um, but it was freaky. It was freaky being, I mean, I've been close to gunfire, of course, in a training class, but everybody's shooting downrange. We make sure they're shooting downrange. But this was a gunshot that that went off near me, and I had no idea who was firing? Which way was the gun pointed? Was there going to be more gunfire? Was this thing over? Was it an accident? Did somebody die? What's going on? All this is going through my head. And thank God none of my family members were with me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, I was by myself. But I wanted to tell that story because uh, while it's fresh in my mind, it was kind of a, a peculiar situation. Yeah, well, I hope the guy's okay. Apparently. I mean, they said he shot himself in the hand. Um, you know, might not have much of a hand, much use of his hand for maybe for the rest of his life. I don't know. I don't know what kind of damage he did, but um, I, you know, I'm sure he's still with us if he only shot himself in the hand. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's my story. It took a little bit more. It took a little longer than to tell it than I thought, but. Um, Glenn, the floor is yours. I like to give my guests the floor at the end to wrap up and say whatever they want to say. Well, I, th- I would just like to, I don't know, amplify the, some of the things we said about the hard work thing. And I've been thinking about this conversation we've had. And I don't want to sound trite or sound like a after-school special that says you can do it. But, you know, if you're out there and, and you think that there's something you want to add to this, this community, this gun community or prep or whatever you want to call it, um, do it because the time is now with technology and you can do this. And, and both you and I, Bob, are living examples of regular guys who never thought this would really be likely. I'm not going to say we thought it was impossible because we would have done it if we thought it was impossible, but you and I both thought it's pretty unlikely um, that we would do these things we're doing. And then you can do them. And, and it's a blast. It's, it's addictive. Um, I couldn't stop doing this stuff if I tried. I mean, Bob, when you said, hey, do you want to do a podcast interview? It's like 
just an instant reaction of saying yes. I mean, I, I'm addicted to this. It's fun. It's a blast. It is. It makes it makes a more full and complete life, and that's kind of what it's all about. So I would encourage people out there. I'm addicted to it also. You're right. It does kind of make a more full and complete life, both prepping and you know learning about firearms. Both of them. It really, you know, and and something else too. People that listened to my show last week when I had John Hottaway on, John talked about fellowship. He talked about how doing some of these types of things builds great fellowship. I'm sure you found that to be true. Well, especially with the team. Yeah. Yeah. But even outside of your team, uh, I'm sure you've, I'm sure this has opened doors and, and helped create friends you probably wouldn't have otherwise had. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, Glenn, talk about book seven real quick before we sign off. Well, yeah, book seven of the series, 299 Days, came out um, on December 10th, and uh, it's been doing very well, been getting some great reviews on Amazon. Um, Folks who've read the books, I need to mention this, please review them on Amazon. It is enormously helpful. Amazon's magic algorithm computers or whatever um, pay great attention to books that have more reviews. And so it's very important um, to do that to help the book. But uh, it came out, it was it was a blast, right? It's one of my favorite of the books that have come out. And it sets things up. And I'm sorry, some people are a little mad at me about this, but book seven sets up things so that you're just going to, be compelled to read book eight. You're going to be like, how long is it going to be till book eight is out? Oh my goodness. Are you, are you just toying with us? No, I'm not toying with you with, we're talking about how busy we are. Um, probably March, if I had to guess is when book eight will come out. So it takes a while. They're all written and everything, but just the editing, we edit these things several, several times, the, the publisher, the editor and I and proofreaders. So it's, it's not a simple process. But anyway, um, book seven will make you want to read book eight. So, you know, warning, it's addictive. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. I think all of yours have been addictive. I've gotten something out of, I've gotten a lot of it out of every single one of them. And even though it makes you hungry for more, that's okay because they're all so good. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, they're real good. Um, so your first book came out when? Uh, it was September 1st of 2012. Okay, so only it's been not even a year and a half yet. That's right, and we're all the way up to book seven. Um, eight will be about March. Book nine will be about the summer of 2014. And book ten will be before Thanksgiving of 2014. So we'll, we'll end the ten-book series um, in 2014. But it looks like there's going to be more stuff. I'll just leave it at that. So, there's going to be more stuff. <laughs> that's great, Glenn. That, that's a, another great teaser. That's awesome. <laughs> Wish I could tell you, but but then you'd have to line. you'd have to kill me. <laughs> Glenn, thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us on on the show again, Glenn. I appreciate it, uh, folks. This is Glenn. This was Glenn Tate interviewing with me, author of the best-selling book series Two Hundred and Ninety Nine Days. Hey, real quick before I let you go, give out the website. Two Nine Nine Days dot com. 299days.com. Yep. Thanks, Glenn. Thank you, Bob. Have a good one. You too. Okay, many thanks to Glenn. Hey, he donates his time like everybody else who interviews on my show, so show them some love for donating their time. If you want to buy his book, just go to todayssurvival.com. There's two S's in that web address, by the way. todayssurvival.com. There are two ways you can get the book. You can use my Amazon store, and if you click the Amazon store page on my website, 
it'll show you a direct link. So if you're using a mobile browser or some other browser that you know uh, might not be just a standard computer browser, you should see a direct link there. Sometimes people have said to me they don't see the Amazon icon on that page. So just click where it says Amazon Store and then buy his book. That way, I also have a recommended books page on my website, todayssurvival.com. Regarding Amazon purchases, a lot of you have been supporting my show by making your purchases on Amazon through my store link. Thank you very much. You know, that's one way you can help support this show. Have you noticed something about my podcast? Have you noticed that I keep it relatively commercial-free? There's a lot of shows you listen to out there, and the host either runs a bunch of commercials or spends six to ten minutes doing nothing but talking about sponsors that are paying them money. I try not to do that. For your listening enjoyment, I try to keep this as commercial-free as I possibly can. So it relies, I rely, on supporters like you making your Amazon purchases through my store, buying a copy of... One of my Survival Champions Club podcasts for 25 bucks. You'll see that at my website as well. So th- that's one way you can support the show and you can get Glenn's books. And uh, don't forget to join our forum, by the way, folks. We've had a lot of people in the last three or four months joining our forum. We've got a small forum by Internet standards, but a pretty good one. And a lot of friendly people, they're all listeners to the show. I want the forum to be pretty much listeners to the show. So you can you can talk to me that way, you can talk to other listeners. Just do me a favor. I have a different way of keeping the spammers off my forum. Once you register, send me an email and remind me that you signed up and tell me what your username is is and I have to go in there and approve your account before you can start making posts. Forgive me, but that's the best way I can think of because then that way I know if you've if you've sent me an email, that means you're listening to this show and that you're a legitimate user that wants to get on the forum and discuss ideas. So don't forget to email me at bob at todayssurvival.com. If you want to send me a voicemail, just call 210-646-1727. 210-646-1727. I actually use that email, that voicemail box for both shows now. You'll hear my greeting. And just leave me a message up to three minutes in length, and I'll put you on the show unless you tell me not to. Well, with all that said, I want to thank you for listening to another episode of today's Survival Show. It's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are, and keep it common sense and keep it real. Thanks for listening, folks. I'll catch you next week. Goodbye.